The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Fazzani. Today on the show, we'll discuss all manner of trends in the ETF industry, everything from short-term bonds and active management's time in the sun to the growth trade, covered call strategies, crypto ETFs, and a lot more. Plus, We'll give you the flowdown for 2024 as the S&P 500 hovers around a new high and investors position themselves for what many are hoping will be a broad-based recovery ahead. Let's hope. Here's my conversation with Ben Slavin, Global Head of ETFs at BNY Mellon, and Andrew McGorman, the Managing Director at Wallach Beth Capital. Uh, ben, BNY Mellon, you're the largest asset service provider in the ETF industry. You see all the flows, a trillion dollars in the money market funds in 2023. I think we're at six trillion dollars right now. Uh, this end of the year rally back into stocks is are we seeing flows back into equity ETFs Are people putting their money where the market is going? Well, look, that's exactly what we saw here in November. You saw that enormous cash pile up going to money markets, you know, and ETF flows were muted. Then November comes and we started to see that money really come back off the sidelines. You saw almost 100 billion in flow into ETFs. And again, unlike the beginning of the year where we saw that flow going into fixed income, especially at the short end of the curve, you saw some selling in fixed income and a large piece of that money going into equities for sure. You know, Andrew, some of the uh, big trades this year do seem to be reversing 94 billion in inflows in in November. But I noticed something very interesting here. We had 94 billion in inflows year to date, 460 billion. Here's the new numbers here. Uh, that's just shy of 500 billion, where we would consider it significant. But look at this outflows. That's it should say outflows there from ultra short government bonds, 7.1 billion. There's been inflows all year into that. Yeah. This year, this month, this is for the month of November, outflows of 7.1 billion dollars. Uh, I, I I wonder if that is start of a trend here. I think it shows you some confidence in the market. Um, just look at the general economy. You know, the spending is starting to ease up, like on the on the restaurant and retail level. And then that should be the top. The market lags the economy. We know, I mean, sorry, the economy lags the market. We know that. So I think that's a sign that the more money is going to come in. And you talked about the, the money market funds. How about all the money that's in like the Goldman Sachs Marcus accounts and, you know, the, that aren't even in ETFs. All of that is probably money that people took out of equities, even if they're just single stockholders because of a lack of confidence in the market besides the big seven. And now they're going to start to see, okay, it's safe to get back in the market. They never get in at the bottom, right? right? We've seen a little bit of a rally. I think that's going to be a big sign for 2020. The the knock on this whole story about all this money on the sidelines and money market funds is a lot of it is like, you know, my mother's savings account. They They weren't in stocks to begin with. She just moved it out. Actually, this is a true story. My mother moved money out of her savings account in March. Right into for five percent yeah <laughs> in, into one year cds yeah. uh and she's not necessarily going to go back into the stock market so i but there is a point here about this that people seem very comfortable with that five percent yield but as yields start going down those money market yields are going to start coming down those are short-term instruments by definition it seems logical that the stock market if this continues has got to recapture some of that money it seems logical Absolutely logical. I mean, look, that 5% yield is giving equities certainly some competition. Again, you've started to see that switch. 
but you know, really if you step back and you look at what's going on in flows, and again, it's just indicative of maybe where investor sentiment is going to be going forward, but in November, over 1,800 different ETFs were positive, and over 200 took in um, you know, a significant amount of money, more than $100 million each. So it is broad-based, um, and again, as those money market yields come down, things will change, and certainly yeah. there are even are some investors that are looking to lock in those rates well, at the longer end of the curve. That's what I think. I think they're going to get used to 5%. Like you said in the example of your mother, she's used to 1%, now gets 5 So even some of the younger investors are going to say, okay, I was really comfortable with 5 You're not going to get it in a money market, but you're all going to get it in a dividend-producing ETF, in one of the option derivative ETFs. You can still get that yield, and I think that's where the money yeah. will flow, or even high-yield ETFs, the traditional. And we talk H-Y. all the time about flows, and I just want to point out something. Most of the time, flows are noise. I don't pay a lot of attention to them, but 94 billion last month, that was a fairly large number. That was statistically significant. Would you say so? Yeah, it certainly was. Um, I think it was the fifth um, highest on record, so that's got to get your attention. Although seasonally, ETFs have done well in Q4. Um, I think, again, here part of it was the markets. The other part, certainly, I think tax loss harvesting is another big catalyst for ETF flows. So certainly there's noise in the How number, but it was definitely- How harvesting with ETFs? Well, look, I mean, I think in certain, you know, certainly in the mutual fund um, uh, structure, you saw um, many funds, uh, certainly on a relative to ETFs, pay capital gains. And, you know, these are situations where it provides investors an opportunity to harvest losses, rotate back into another product. And often ETFs have been the beneficiary to be able to, quote unquote, harvest those gains and then again, maintain their market exposure. Um, And again, a lot of this seems to happen in the fourth quarter, which makes sense, obviously, given tax planning, but also uh, when these funds make their capital gain distribution announcements so investors can calculate what their tax liability might be. How about be the bigger index names, SPY, Qs? Yeah. Uh, using that for tax yeah. loss harvesting. Okay. Um, are investors still piling into big cap tech stocks or are they positioning themselves for a broader recovery in 2024? I've been noting the RSP, the equal weight S&P 500, has been outperforming the S&P, the market cap weighted S&P for over a month, and there's been inflows into the RSP. That signals yeah, I, some I kind of confidence. Look at the whole market rallies. I don't think tech can keep the same lead they had before. You know, like you have a product like the Pacer Cow, C-O-W-Z, right, which is a value play, which offers this dividend. So I think that gap closes. I mean, I wouldn't suggest short tech, you know, long value, but certainly just by kind of reducing your exposure to those tech names, those seven big names, um, if the overall market rallies, I think that gap will close. Yeah, I look, and I also think, you know, we are, we are certainly seeing um, a little bit of a, again, that broad-based um, move in terms of flows. Again, gives you some idea of where, you know, where investors' head might be at. But certainly on RSP, I think, you know, it is a concern of advisors and certainly the clients that we talk to that are concerned about that concentration risk uh, in, in the, you know, in those, at least the Magnificent Seven and some of the indexes, um, but also those who are looking for ways to potentially place a mean reversion in some of those lower valuations that you're seeing. And RSP is just one little example of how to play that trade. I want to talk about one of the big trends of 2023, and that was the covered call strategy. It started with Jeppy a year and a half. 
and a half ago, but we had some record product launches uh, in, in active management this year. But I, as I mentioned, much of it was for these covered call strategies. And those of you who don't know this, you own the S&P, for example, and then you essentially buy call options on it. So in, in my head, this is not really stock picking at old school active management. You're just doing an option overlay. It's an insurance Really is another way so why did that take off so much? Well, I think, again, I'm proud of the ETF industry itself for coming out with these products to bring them to light. It's going to increase option flow, increases people understanding about trading what they are. What it provides is, let's talk for the audience, in an up market, they're going to lag. So if we rally, these products will lag. They've had a good year because we've been in a neutral market and a lot of products. We've been in a down market and a lot of products. In a neutral market, they're going to yeah, outperform. Because those options you're selling go in the money. You're selling options of out of the money and collecting the premium. Yeah. So it just adds. It's but if, if alpha, the market alpha, goes alpha. up. The, the market goes up, you're, they're going to have to cost those, cover them at a higher cost, yeah. and you'll lose money. So up market, it underperforms. Neutral market, it stays kind of neutral. You get a little bit alpha. But in a down market, it really overperforms. But and a great example, so you have the JEPI, right? So it tells me that people are com- people are want to buy some protection. That's what it tells me, essentially. I mean, Correct. This, the downside, you, you keep your exposure and you make a little bit of money. And you make a little bit of money. Yeah, what I can't say is certainly, I think you raised some great points, but what I will say is, I mean, stepping back, I mean, we are seeing a, a large amount of product development. I think you, you kind of touched on a little bit. Record product development this year in the ETF industry. 80% plus was active. And then you have a big category, which is these option-based products, which um, have been a big story this year in terms of new launches. A lot of innovation there. We see a queue still forming, some of it public, some of it non-public. So we are going to see more products like this going into 2024, without a doubt. But it puts a bigger burden on investors and their advisors to really understand what's going on with these products. They are serving a purpose, but they are not all created equal. So it could be a difference in the underlying exposure or the type of protection that you're actually getting or the income that you're you're seeking, um, you know, and I think it's very important to understand these differences. But my point is, I think the reason these things took off because of what happened in 2022, 20% 20% down, and the S&P spooked a lot of people, Correct. and they and wanted no to get protection. These oh, yeah. things are a sort of natural, yeah. I think, of behavioral economics. This is sort of right. the response. Oh, I still want to stay in the market, but i got to protect myself right. from a 20% down well, you, year. You that at, may, I understand that. You there's, can look at the extreme there's examples. JEPQ, yep. um, which is the NASDAQ version of the S&P. Right, the Q. So it's a little more volatile. That would be the middle. I think that returned 11% so far this year. But if you look at something like KWeb, right, which is Chinese tech right. stocks, and then you have Clip, which right. is the so this crane shares size. clip. This is a, a right. covered call version on K-Web. Of, of K-Web. K-Web holds China Internet stocks. Yeah. Now, so to Tencent point, and Alibaba. Yeah. And then it does the same thing. It sells yeah. one month at the, chart. at the money call yeah. options uh, on the full Correct. amount of the portfolio. Correct. And, and the dividend and, is... And these stocks have, have actually rallied this year. But look, there you go. Yeah, the dividend it's, is 4% a month. However, okay, you're so also we, down 40% on the stock. Now, it should be yeah. noted that we are not including the dividend in that. That's a price, right? Correct. So that's, that's just not, the price. See, that's part of the problem with yeah. these, yeah. showing just the, just the chart. chart. Yeah. You should show total, total return. return. Right. On it, but the point is that it's down because of right. the performance of Chinese stocks. Well, the underlying is Chinese tech stocks. So, yeah. if you wanted to maintain exposure in that, and you just weren't writing calls against it, it's a pretty brutal year, right? But you're probably flat to up if you're in clip because you're getting the dividend every month from selling calls, which yeah. we're never getting called. Yeah, and again, folks, I want to warn you that is not indicative of your total performance Correct. that you saw. Yeah. KLIP was down. And you have you really should. And to Ben's point, you had to really look under the hood to see which what asset class. But it's a very exciting product. 
all kinds of issuers, Simplified, Defiance, Innovator, um, they're all coming out with these products. Zega, which is a really, really traditional hedge fund, has these yield match products. They're doing synthetic, synthetic longs in Tesla, and those, those are getting more attention than the single stock Tesla ETFs. Yeah. Um, so the hottest products this year were the short-term bond ETFs, the actively managed call strategies we just talked about. How about 2024? Let's spin this forward. Is this going to continue into 2024? This is the hard part, folks. It's really hard to figure out what the hot product's going to be next year. Any thoughts? Well, look, I think um, I sort of uh, alluded to at least one. I mean, certainly we are absolutely going to see more of these option-based products come to market. Um, we see it in our own book. I can also tell you that without a doubt, there's going to be more attention paid to actively managed ETFs. We've kind of touched on this in a few different areas already um, you know, in this chat, but ultimately there's going to be more issuers that are continuing to chase um, this trend that we're seeing and that uptick in flows. And there is an expectation, um, at least at the asset managers, what happens in reality, we'll see. But the asset managers are looking at this as an opportunity at this point in the market cycle to try to pick up some of those flows, capture investor intention, and ideally outperform the market. So those products are going to continue to attract, again, a lot of attention from a marketing standpoint, and you're going to see a big percentage uh, of, of the new launches yeah. certainly be actively managed. Well, or, we talked about zero data expiration option yeah. ETFs a, a few months ago. That's 50% of the option volume right now. I have grave concerns about this. Uh, I don't mind professional investors playing same-day expiration options, but when you start dragging in the retail community, uh, yeah. I get a little worried about it. It'll be it. a similar education to the, the triple levered ETFs when they came out. And at least that lesson's been learned once, so hopefully that lesson will be learned. No, the, well, we know, come on, how many, yeah. I've been here 33 years at yeah. CNBC. The one thing I learned is everybody, there's always new people coming Correct. in who yeah, have to learn investors. the same stupid things yeah, that yeah. everybody else knows already, yeah. but they have to learn it over again and make mistakes. That's what's right. depressing about you know the whole business of living in general. I think right. we just had a Forex ETF launch or yeah. ETN. Um, so it's, you know, again, you're just going to continue to see any, more of those any products thoughts on well. 20, I think where the trends are, I mean, obviously there's, we don't trade any Bitcoin at, at Wallach Beth, but I think the spot ETF is going to garner a lot of attention. Um, and at the very least, it will bring attention to ETFs. There'll be people that haven't traded an ETF before that where their first ETF will be one of these, um, you know, spot ETFs. So that'll be very interesting. And then, and then really, I think it's led by the market. If we get into a overall value market, you will see money come away from the covered calls because, of course, they'll underperform. But there'll be other option strategies um, like the synthetic longs where, you know, the, price, the tickers are so high that they could start to get into those products. It just draws attention to alpha. Right. If the, right the, that's the point. The ETF is a trend-following business, Correct. essentially. Yep. So if the market trends up, there'll be less interest in the covered call products and more in right. how do you leverage the market going up, right? right. How would you do that? Then you, well, I, don't, I wouldn't suggest selling naked puts, so that would be there the opposite go. trade. Yeah. Yeah. The naked put <laughs> and ETF. I don't think that's going to come out, and that's yeah. probably not a good idea. Um, but yeah, they'll just, they'll just tinker the strategy with, you know, with the covered yeah. calls and how they rotate. They're all actively managed, which is a good thing. See, this is part of so. the things I love about the ETF business and what I hate about it because I, I love it because the ETF business is maturing now. So it's sure. a business, and they're always looking for new ways to attract new people. Right. And yet, at the same time, do we really want people going out buying naked, uh, naked right. put? Right. I, I know you're joking, but yeah. that's not a crazy idea necessarily. Probably not, I mean, but not, some kind of way not to cover it. Not necessarily legal, yeah. but 
there's a way around it, yeah. what you're talking about. Well, they're going to come to that ben. will happen. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll come to him with ideas for sure. Yeah. I just think it's, it's a generally going to be... Um, are all the good ideas gone that aren't well, crazy? You would four years ago you wouldn't have thought these covered calls might have been so yeah, big and now they're laughed at it. You're right. I think when you mention it as a business, as long as you're saying it as a business, don't forget the issuers are kind of the bulk of their products are in these very low management fee products. Yeah, this is giving them the opportunity yeah, to charge seventy five bips, hundred bips, eighty that's and it's point. worth it because if you're a re- I'm not saying that's it's not it's not taking too much. If you're a retail investor trying to write your own covered call strategy on Schwab, you know, with, with individual stocks, it does, yeah. it's really hard to do. Yeah. Uh, all that money in uh, short-term bonds and money markets, they're competition for dividend products. We've got plenty of dividend products that are equity products. Um, how about any chance, uh, Andrew, we get any inflows into normal equity dividend products, yeah, so like I, the spider dividend? Uh, and how about high yield? I, I think you will. I think the high yield will continue because, again, the rates will at least level off in the money markets. And they're going to want to continue to get 5%. And the only way you're going to get that is equity dividends or high yield if you're going to go to fixed income. It'll go back to just the same trade we had two, three years ago. You'll get back. We've seen inflows into HYG and JNK and SJNK, those same names. Um, And like I mentioned before, you have the dividend ETFs like the cows from Pacer, right? That'll that'll produce a nice dividend. Again, we're going to have to get used to not getting 11, 12% anymore unless you're not, unless you're in one of these covered call products in the right market. But, But I think ETFs will offer, there'll be plenty of ETFs that will offer that Equity, they will offer that 3 to 5% range. Of course, market risk, but the market should be rallying next year, I think. Uh, and then, of course, the high yield will kick into that kind of 6 to 8 range. But, again, there's risk in those names. Right now in your Goldman Sachs Marcus account, you're getting 5 and a quarter with zero risk. Yeah. Um, let me go slightly off topic. I want to ask you about uh, T plus 1 next year. Uh, those of you who don't know, the U.S. stock market next year is going to go to what we now call T plus 1 settlement. So, uh, it, it means stocks uh, will have a settlement date one day after the trade is made. Right now, the U.S. stock market has a three-day settlement period. So this is a big technological change. The market's very preoccupied with this. So I guess, Ben, what are the uh, imp- implications for ETFs uh, and the markets in general? It's been a big initiative at the bank. And as you said, um, certainly May of 2024, we're going to see this change implemented and you know we service over 1.7 trillion in ETF assets and run a proprietary tech stack to support all these assets and provide that servicing. It's been a huge initiative for us and the industry. What investors really need to know is really probably a couple things. One is you know we think the biggest impact certainly is going to be in international equities. So if you think about any markets that will not be on that T plus one market. Right now, Europe is T plus two, right? Right. So when they are when U.S. moves to T plus one. Um, obviously, there's a mismatch in settlement, and you know the, the potential outcome there is that you could see impacts on liquidity um, because of the way the market structure is designed and the way that the liquidity providers create yeah. and redeem ETFs. It also has to do with the FX and the timing of that. Um, but ultimately, we think that um, the market will adapt and provide, you know, and step yeah. in to provide that liquidity. But it is something to watch, and I think it's going to be more, again, on those international ETFs and on an ETF-to-ETF basis. Um, So, again, that's probably the biggest thing that investors should be aware of. I just want to emphasize, Andrew, this is a good thing, going from 3 plus 3 plus 3 plus 1. And those of you who don't get confused about all of this, I'll make it simple. You want shorter settlement because this guarantees that you know that you got your stuff sooner. 
So if I cash, bought 100 like, shares of IBM, yeah. how do I know I actually bought 100 shares of IBM? Yeah. Well, there's somebody who gets in the middle that guarantees that. But they only guarantee it after three days. Now, if you guarantee it after one day, what it does is it reduces risk in the market. It's much overall. more efficient. The, the, what you call counterparty risk yeah. in the market. Finance. We've had institutional clients asking us, you can do a T1 trade. I've been doing T1 trades for a decade. And a lot of institutions over time, just more and more and more for the same reason that you said. They want the security. They want the cash in and out. There's financing charges when that cash is stuck in the middle. May not be, maybe it's not the best thing for some of the banks that don't get to keep that spread for three days, but it's more efficient for the client. For sure. Certainly in an era of higher rates as well, that right. financing charge has become incredibly important. Correct. Yeah. You, you mentioned bit, uh, Bitcoin. I got a sort of it's the obligatory Bitcoin question, yeah. folks, here. We're up 30%. You know, we're 30,000 to 40,000, right? Uh, yeah. on, on all of this on hopes for a Bitcoin ETF. Um, what's the timeline for a likely rollout? Either one of you, doesn't matter. Look, um, I think look, it's hard to predict. Obviously, everybody's waiting for the SEC, of course. Um, you know, we are uh, in the process of helping multiple issuers uh, get ready, again, to provide the servicing to power these products whenever they come to market. A lot of signs seem to point, um, and certainly all the media, you know, seems to point to Q1, uh, whether it's January or some point a little bit later in the year, it seems like we're getting very, very close um, if you look at all the filings. And, you know, when the market's ready, we'll be ready. And I think to Andy's point, I think we will see uh, a lot of interest for these products whenever they yeah. end up making it to market. Then it'll settle doubt. down, though. I think then it'll settle down. You'll get back to everyone saying, right, what's the proof of concept on the underlying asset class? And then we'll see. But if, certainly there's a lot of excitement for traders and the traders in those products to be able to reflect their views in an ETF. You, I, I want to get uh, clear about what you guys do, because there's a reason I have been, been on. You're the biggest service provider to the ETF industry. But what, explain what that means to be a service provider. What do you do? It means it makes you so important. <laughs> yeah, again, it can mean a lot of things. But, but certainly the way I like to describe it is we provide the infrastructure to power up uh, the ETFs. And again, as I mentioned, it's over 1.7 trillion of assets. Right. And what does that mean? It means custody. We clear and settle trades. Right. It means accounting. NAVs? We value and you, provide you, you the, the trade. that asset you, you settle, value. Right. The, they, the, price, guys, we, the point is, when, yeah, when you're looking up the price of your ETF, they're the ones, you, you're the ones that actually settle on the price. We are the, we are the golden source right, for right. that price financial statements, and, and ultimately the ETF creation redemption orders. So when the liquidity providers come to trade any of the ETFs we service, right. um, they're coming to our desk, and we're effectively the tip of the spear when it comes right. to crossing So there's this gigantic iceberg underneath the, the surface that you see when you do with ETFs, and with stocks too, but you take care of all that stuff to make sure when... When you're buying that ETF, you make sure that you're there, uh, making sure what the price is right, calculating the price. Um, you do custodial work, too. Yep. Now, for the Bitcoin ETF, you, if, you're not going to do the custodian work, right? That's correct. Right. We are simply providing the fund services right. ex-custody. Right. Okay. So I know that gets a little technical, folks, but it's an important distinction. Yep. Anyhow, the point is, you're the firm that provides all of, all of the management underneath That's for right. everybody. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right. It's a very important business, actually. It's really the guts of... Yeah. It's... it's all the stuff you don't see, it's, it's like the plumbing behind the walls at the New York Stock Exchange. Like the place runs on massive amounts of technology, but you never see it. It's all behind the walls there. You kind of, you know, do that kind of service. Same thing at BNY Mellon. Yeah. 
Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of the podcast. We'll be conducting or continuing the conversation with Ben Slavin from BNY Mellon. Uh, ben, we talked about a lot of things on the show, but one of the things we didn't talk about uh, is capital gains. Um, and we got another reminder of how tax-efficient ETFs are um, for tax loss harvesting. Um, I know you were telling me about this. Of the top 15 ETF issuers, which is 99% of the market, uh, looking at almost 1,900 ETFs, only 24 distributed capital gains. That is a remarkable number. Explain what that means to the, to, to viewers. and what, This is why people love ETFs. Look, tax efficiency is one of those attributes that is really key from an ETF investing standpoint and why investors love them. And, and this year is uh, case in point, right? So each, uh, the stat you just quoted, um, you know, is really saying that those ETFs um, are not going to pay any distribution. So on your 1099 at the end of the year, um, there's going to be no capital gain um, that's attributed that you have to pay tax on, whether you sell or not. Mutual funds, on the other hand, it's a different story. And traditionally, you know, ETFs have really, this is an area where they've really excelled because of the way ETFs work. And so like on the mutual fund um, uh, for wrapper uh, for this year, you have over 200 mutual funds that are gonna pay a capital gain distribution of more than 4% of their net asset value. Yeah, that's and that's quite whether a tax you hit. sell it or not, you're going to get yeah. that tax bill. So on tax Because they were accounts, involved in critical. trading activity during the year that generated essentially capital gains. Exactly. So the, the fund mu- manager. Right. The mutual fund you. is trading. Even if you, as the investor, yeah. just bought you know, and, and hold And you know, in the ETF situation, you, you have the market maker engaging in creations and redemptions that don't create a taxable event, right? Explain this. This is the critical difference here. Uh, again, this is all about how ETFs work. So as probably many investors know, and maybe some don't, ETFs are, cre- or most of them are created and redeemed in kind. So in pretty much almost all developed markets around the world, um, it's the market maker that's delivering in or taking out um, a basket of stocks or bonds. And when that happens, there's no underlying tax event to the ETF. In mutual funds, you buy and sell in cash, and that creates uh, a, can create a taxable event inside the mutual it's fund. It's really remarkably simple um, because essentially the market maker is the one that's doing the activity, not the fund manager. And they essentially are they're in this tax-free bubble, essentially, by engaging in the creation redemption process themselves. It's the beauty of the whole ETF industry. It's it's really- a, yeah, and it's actually interesting. I think it's one of the things that actually doesn't happen in the ETF market in Europe, um, where ETFs are created and redeemed in cash, and that tax benefit isn't there in the same way it is in the U.S. All the other attributes of ETFs uh, apply, you know, the liquidity yeah. and low cost and all that, but it is a little bit uh, different over there, and, and one of the reasons why it hasn't been quite as strong in Europe as it is in the U.S. I want to ask you about um, what might happen in 2024, something else besides, um, you know, besides uh, bond ETFs or um, money market ETFs. Uh, how about some kind of al- more alternative products coming in? I got a lot of questions about access to private markets, for example. You know, the... There's an alarming lack of companies going public and remaining in the private markets. Um, and private equity is, is funding these, these companies because of the, the, the cost of going public and compliance. And companies don't necessarily want to go public. Is, is there any way for an ETF to tap into the 
private market? Yeah, it's a great question, and this comes up a lot. So the way I typically like to answer this is, you know, ETFs are not a magic wrapper. I mean, if the underlying is a liquid, so too will the ETF. Um, it, it's the same problem that you have because, again, ETFs trade on exchange, daily liquidity, daily valuation. And, you know, what we have seen is those investors that are certainly looking for private credit, which has been a hot space this year, on our platform and, and you know, at BNY Mellon, obviously one of our affiliates uh, is Pershing, right, which is a very large platform servicing RIAs and, and sort of other investors, has certainly been um, these interval funds, which have kind of exploded to try to, try to get um, investors access to private credit and other similar types of uh, strategies. But it's just very, very challenging to get those uh, types of assets into ETFs because of the valuation, because of the liquidity. But there, you know, we have seen though certain forms of alternative-like right. exposure coming to ETFs, like so managed you, futures you, you, and the so like. Smoothing out the price dislocations, the valuations is hard. But other ETFs did this in the bond market. I mean, bank loan, bank notes, uh, or uh, what would you call them? Um, you, you know, short-term loans from banks, um, they get put into ETFs. We get obscure bond funds that have supposedly fairly illiquid underlying bonds, and yet the market's been able to price ETFs, and sometimes ETF pricing is more efficient than the underlying bond market. We had this complaint for years. Oh, we'll, if there's a liquidity crunch, these ETFs will stop trading because the underlying won't have enough liquidity. And it turns out the ETFs t traded perfectly fine. That, that, wagged the, that tail wagged the dog. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, this is one of the things I love about ETFs. You're, you know, finding yourself, you know, in a, in a situation where there's just a natural sort of limit, right? So ETFs have democratized a bunch of asset classes that were difficult to access and not just sort of, I'll just call them less liquid um, types of assets like bank loans, but even things like gold, right? We saw GLD come forward as the first way to sort of equitize uh, and bring sort of gold exposure to the masses. But there is there is limits. I think if there is a way, um, I yep. can almost tell you with certainty that it the will ETF happen. issuers will try to bring there, that There's to my market. prediction. It's a tough call, but uh, some kind of alternative ETF around the private markets will emerge in 2024. That's a bold call, folks, because as Ben said, it's <laughs> not easy to do. But if it can be done, they'll figure out a way to do it. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Ben Slavin from BNY Mellon. That does it for this week's ETF Edge, the podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week or head to etfedge.cnbc.com. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.